turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. I was asked this week, as a matter of fact, about my favorite passages in the Bible. This is one of them. If I had only two sermons, I guess you have to read the room to know what you would do, but if I knew that I was preaching to a a group of lost people, I'd probably preach from John 3.16 or somewhere like that. But if I knew I was preaching to a group of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, without a doubt, this is the passage that I would choose um, as we look at it this morning because I want, I, I want believers to understand where we're headed and why and how and, and, and the importance of what it is we do every day. I don't, um, with the exception of Christmas and Easter, because I think those are religious and, and Christian holidays. So I preach on the resurrection on Easter. I preach on the uh, birth of Christ at Christmas. Beyond that, I don't do Mother's Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July. Uh, I don't worship the government, so I only preach about the Lord Jesus. I don't preach about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a national holiday of the United States. So this is not a Thanksgiving sermon, but I hope at the end of it you are thankful for what uh, is going to take place uh, probably very soon. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to return from heaven. And the Bible says that he is going to raise from the dead those who are believers He will change those of us who are alive and remain into his image and will take us back to heaven where we will live with him for all eternity in joy and in perfection. The Bible speaks of that in many places. John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Revelation chapter 1, and we call that event the rapture of the church. The word rapture doesn't occur in the Bible, uh, but neither does the word trinity. You believe in the trinity. Uh, So rapture doesn't occur as that word, but the concept of rapture certainly is present. This event is the next event, I believe, in the prophetic calendar of God. This is the next big thing that's going to happen in the history of the world. We call this the blessed hope of the believer. Uh, When we get to, so what happens after that? And so the verse today is especially for believers. If you're here this morning, you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You uh, claim that you have... uh, repented of your sins, confessed Christ, and follow him, then this is for you. You need to understand this because it reminds us that every single believer is answerable to Jesus Christ for the way that we live. Many people think that when we get to heaven, 
we're gonna be issued a halo, a harp, and a pair of wings, and then assigned to some cloud or another where we'll spend all eternity strumming on our harps and floating serenely through heaven. I hope that's not what heaven is like. Uh, that sounds pretty boring to me, to sit on a cloud for all eternity playing a harp. Uh, I don't know that you could, unless it was the bagpipes, I don't know that you could find anything that I would like less than having to play a harp through all eternity. So let's clear up some of this confusion about judgment. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Let's stand together in honor and reverence of the reading of God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Here's what Paul says. For we must all. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body according to that which we have done, whether good or or bad. Father, now bless us as we seek to understand what this means. What is the practical application for that? How do we get ready for this day that is coming? And help us to live in such a way that when that day comes, we need not be ashamed because we will have done what you have given us to do in this life. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is important for you to note that this judgment is not the same judgment that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 24 and 25. That's called the judgment of the nations. That's where the Lord is going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's not this. It's also important for you to note that this is not the great white throne judgment. That's found in Revelation chapter 20. So already I've given you three judgments that are going to take place. There's the judgment of the nations, which the sheep and the goats are divided. That is found in the, what we call the Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 25. Revelation chapter 20 is the great white throne judgment that one is only for lost people. Great white throne judgment is only for lost people. That is where they will be cast into the lake of fire, into eternal hell uh, for all eternity. So the judgment that we're talking about today is a judgment of family business. This involves only those who are a part of the family. And you can rest assured, all the family is going to be there. The idea of standing before Judge Jesus has brought fear and trembling to the minds of many Christians because in our culture, when we read the word judgment, we tend to visualize a courtroom. And we tend to see a judge 
who sits high and lifted up over the courtroom, and he or she is there to declare the innocence or guilt of whatever person has been charged. So before we go any farther at all, I want to explain what this judgment seat of Christ, your translation may also refer to it as the tribunal of Christ, and I want you to delete from your mind right this minute, I want you to delete from your mind this preconceived notion of a courtroom where there is a judge declaring guilt or innocence. That's not what this is, all right? So get that out of your mind. So when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the tribunal of Christ, this is not a place where the Lord is going to declare innocence or guilt. This is a matter of family business. Instead, I want you to visualize a stage much like this one. And I want you to visualize a stage where rewards are passed out because that's what this is. You get that picture in your head, I want you to turn back, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter three. 1 Corinthians chapter three is the other place where Paul talks about what's going to happen at this time. And it begins in verse 10. So we're not in a courtroom. This judge is not going to declare your guilt or innocence. This is a stage where rewards are passed out. Think of it as when you were in elementary school. You remember awards day at elementary school? And you went to awards day and the teacher of your class would stand up and everybody back in the, we got an award for everything. I mean everything. And so somebody would, eventually your name was gonna get called out. And you'd get called up there to that stage and they would present you with your certificate or your whatever it was they were gonna give. That's what I want you to think about when we think about this, all right? So now, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Those are the options. Got them? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become clear for the day. The day is this day that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. He's talking to believers. 
So this passage gives us a little more information about what's getting ready to happen at this uh, judgment seat of Christ. That word that is translated in 2 Corinthians, judgment seat of Christ, that little phrase, is one word in Greek. And the word is bema, B-E-M-A. We call this the bema seat of Christ. And all that means is stage. Bema is a stage. Bema is a platform. So a, a bema in Greek times was a platform that was raised where public rewards were announced. There'd be an official, there'd be some kind of judge who sat on the bema seat so that he could see the competition that was going on. And the winner would then be summoned to the bema to receive his reward. So I want you to get that picture in your head. At this judgment, Jesus is going to be on the bema, on the platform, and he is going to summon us one at a time, and he is going to give us our reward. So with that initial understanding, let's move through the details of this. And the first thing I want you to write down is this. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be at the bema seat? The ample is a very simple answer to that. Only Christians. No lost people will be there. Only believers. Verse 10 starts out this way. For we must all appear. He's writing to the Corinthian believer. I mean, yeah, to the Corinthian believers. And he says, all of us are going to be there. And Paul says, I'm going to be there. Even I'm going to be there. No lost people. Every believer, whether great or small, is going to appear before the throne of Christ, and he or she is going to give an account of the deeds that we have done. Romans 14, 12, Paul says this, so then, every one of us, he includes himself in that, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So this is going to be a universal gathering of all believers, Here's the second thing. It's unavoidable. So everybody's going to be there. All Christians are going to be there, and it's unavoidable. You won't be able to say, I don't think I can make it. I've got other plans that day. I, I would really love to come and get my rewards, and you don't know how much I'd love to be there, but uh, I won't be able to say, I'm going to designate Adam Wooliver to stand in my place and take my rewards from me. No, that won't be an option for you. You're going to be there. The Bible says, for we must. Now, here's the problem that I've encountered over the last 39 years in churches. Some people say, well, I got saved and that's all that matters. I'm going to heaven when I die. That's really all that matters. Doesn't matter what happens after that because I'm saved by the grace of God. And so we get up and we say, well, you've just got to overlook what I do in this world because I'm just a, what? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, thank God you are a sinner saved by grace, but that does not excuse you from not doing what you're supposed to do. And so you must appear at this judgment of Christ. It's unavoidable. And the Bible says very clearly that we are accountable, accountable for what we have done. We are responsible to Jesus for the kind of life that we have lived after we got saved. There's a graphic description of the judgment seat of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter three, and the kind of thing that you're going to expect when you get there. 
Too, too many people today with their name on a church roll somewhere live as though they're never going to have to answer for what they say and what they do. But the truth of the matter is every child of God is slated to appear at this judgment seat. There'll be nowhere to hide. There'll be nowhere to run. When your name is called, you will stand before Jesus and you will face the deeds that you have done in this life. I don't know about you, but that the thought of that makes me a little nervous. Just a little nervous. Down here, when you or I are confronted with some sin that we've committed, what's the first thing we do? We try to defend ourselves. Well, I couldn't help it. That's just the way I am. I was made that way, and I'm sorry, that's just how I am. Or, you don't know what they did to me first. You don't know what they said. Let me tell you something. When you stand before Jesus at the judgment seat, there will be no defense allowed. Every deed is going to be exposed, and every deed is going to be accounted for, and it's going to be done in front of the whole family, in front of all the saints of God. Well, well preacher, maybe, maybe the Lord will just overlook some of what I've done. I'm afraid not. You see, God keeps perfect records. He doesn't, he doesn't lose anything. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every, this is what Jesus said, every careless word they speak. Hebrews 4, 13, no creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Proverbs 15, 13, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, observing the wicked and the good. You get it? God knows it all, God sees it all, God hears it all, and nothing is going to be hidden from his sight. Luke 12, 3, therefore whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in a private room will be proclaimed on the housetop. In other words, all the things that you have said in secret, all the things that you have said in private, all the things that you have said in confidence are going to be brought up and they're going to be dealt with at the seat of Christ. So every Christian is going to participate. Here's the second thing. What's the purpose of this? What is the purpose of this judgment? Well, let me tell you what it's not. One more time, we are not dealing with the issue of salvation. This is not about being saved. That was forever taken care of the moment that you confessed your sins and you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing can ever change the state of your soul. So if an individual is saved, they are eternally saved. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, all your works, that as you stand up before Jesus, all of those things may burn up, and you will still be saved as through fire. In other words, you may have some singed heel marks on the bottom of your feet. You just barely get into heaven, but you will be saved. 
Now, I can't imagine that there are any of you here this morning, there's nobody here who claims to be a believer in Jesus, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would say, yeah, I just want to get in by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. So this is not about salvation. We're not dealing with the issue of sin. Jesus took care of that problem at Calvary. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the doctrine of substitution. Jesus died as my substitute. And the problem that we have is that some of the music that we listen to and have listened to over the years throws out some uh, bad theology. When I was much younger, uh, 1979, as a matter of fact, that was a long time ago. 1979, Amy Grant had the number one Christian song in uh, contemporary Christian music called My Father's Eyes. Some of you may remember that. I bet some of you have heard, there's probably somebody who sang it uh, on a, on, in a church service somewhere. Cute song, horrible theology. Absolutely horrible. Listen, here's the second verse of that song. On that day when we will pay for all the deeds we have done, good and bad, they'll all be had to see by everyone. And when you're called to stand and say just what you saw in me, more than anything I know, I want your words to be, she had her father's eyes. Sweet song. Bad theology. The idea that you and I are going to have to pay for our deeds at the judgment seat of Christ is completely and totally false. False. Your sin debt was paid by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross at Calvary. And the idea that all our deeds, good and bad, are going to be seen by everyone, that's not very pleasant, is it? I remember as a boy, a preacher standing up and telling me that when we got to the judgment seat of Christ, there was going to be a big video screen up there, and my whole life was going to be played as a movie for everybody to watch. And I'm going to tell you the truth, that scared the living daylights out of me. What you see on Sunday morning is this. Thank God you don't see Monday through Saturday all the time, what gets done. And, you, and I, my guess is I'm not alone in that. There's another problem in that song. It says, she, she says in that song that when you are called to stand and say just what you saw, nobody's gonna call anybody up to say, what'd you think of Keith? Thank God for that. You know, when I do a resume, you've, you've all had to write your resumes. When you update your resume, you have to put references at the bottom. You know who I put as my references? People who are gonna say nice things about me. I don't put the person who has had a problem with me since the day I was born and hasn't liked me at all, and I don't care what I do or what I say, it's never right, and it's never the way they thought it. I don't put them on my resume. I don't want them standing up in front of people telling what they think of me. That's not gonna happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Nobody's gonna call anybody up there. They're not gonna call Adam over to while I'm standing there and say, Adam, what'd you think of, of Pastor Keith? Because I'm gonna turn to him and I'm gonna say, when this is over, payback, buddy. No, 
All that's already been done. He's now evaluating us, believers, on the basis of what did I do with what he gave me? What did I do as a believer with what I was given? So the purpose of the Bema seat is not to air your dirty laundry. We have Facebook for that. The purpose of the Bema seat is to evaluate the things that you have done and the things that you have said since you became a Christian and to determine whether or not those things were done for the glory of God. And the thing that's going to happen here is there's going to be the revelation of the quality of our service to God. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says it's going to be revealed with fire and that fire will test the quality of each man's work. Notice it says quality, not quantity. The Bible talks about building a house there. Paul says uh, the foundation is Jesus Christ and he says once I have that foundation, I start building a superstructure on top of that of Christian service. So I've got the, the death and the burial and the resurrection. I've got the gospel of Jesus Christ as the foundation of my life. I have been saved by the blood of Jesus. And now what have I done to build on that foundation that has been provided to me? And the Bible talks about six kinds of building materials that are going to be used. He says there's gold and silver and jewels. They sound pretty good. And then he says there's wood, hay, and straw. Well, I don't know much, but I do know that wood, hay, and straw don't get along very well with fire. So if I want to have anything left, I want to make sure that what I've done falls under the category of precious stones and gold and silver. I don't want it to be wood, hay, and straw. They're cheaper. They're perishable. They represent the Christian service that you may have done and I may have done in my own strength. It represents what I have done over these years since I've been saved that I did so that I would have, uh, I know this has never happened to any of you, I'm gonna be transparent. There are times when I've gotten up and I have maybe uh, given a, a, a devotional thought or something and at the end of it I said, I've thought to myself now I sure hope everybody comes up and pats me on the back for that and tells me how I mean that was a great that was a great sermon that I just preached not nearly as great as I thought it was probably uh, but so the things that I have done when I have desired recognition for myself those things are going to get burned up they're not going to be valuable so the purpose of this judgment is to reveal what you have built in your Christian life. The quality of my work is going to be tried by fire. Revelation chapter one, John says that Jesus' eyes are like a blazing fire. When Jesus looks at my work, then I think he's gonna look at it with a laser beam. And, and, and it will ignite. Now what happens when gold and silver and jewels go through fire? They aren't destroyed. They're purified. So everything I've done 
that has been done in the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that I have done that was done for the glory of God is just going to become more beautiful. It's gonna become more precious. But anything that I have done that was not done for the glory of God is going to be like wood, hay, and straw, and it's gonna catch on fire. And what's gonna be left? Nothing. Nothing. Everything that I have ever done as a believer, not as a pastor, but as a believer, everything that I've ever done with the attempt to receive attention or praise from others is just gonna go up in smoke. Now, not only is that judgment going to reveal what you've built, it's going to be uh, a time when I'm now rewarded for my faithfulness to God. And I'm gonna receive rewards. You say, what kind of rewards? Well, the Bible tells us. Write these down. You can study them later. Uh, the New Testament speaks of several crowns that I can earn. You say, oh, we don't like to talk about earning anything in Christian life. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm gonna say this again. We are saved by the grace of God, by the death of Christ on the cross. It is by Christ alone through faith alone. You didn't do anything. But after you get saved, after you get saved, everything that you do in life with what God has given you is to be done for the glory of God. So the Bible says, I may receive the incorruptible crown. You find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we receive a crown that will never fade away. So it appears to me that the incorruptible crown is, to, is gonna be given to anybody who exercises self-control and is able to make it through life uh, and, and, and live for Christ. So everybody may get that one. You may have that one. You may get it many times. How about the crown of life? The crown of life is awarded to the person who endures and overcomes temptation. James chapter one, verse 12, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So every time that you've been tempted and you overcame that temptation by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you earned the crown of life. How about the crown of rejoicing? 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for who is our hope or joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? How about the crown of righteousness awarded to those who anticipate and live in the light of return of the Lord Jesus? 2 Timothy 4, 8, there is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, Paul says, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Do you look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? I know a lot of times we walk around and we say, oh, come Lord Jesus, because we just think things are so bad. But do you really look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus do you talk about it not as a, a joke, but do you talk about it as the fact that, that I'm living my life because the Lord Jesus is going to come back soon? Well, when you love the return of the Lord, you get the crown of righteousness. 
or the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive the unfading crown of glory. That is a crown that I believe is especially reserved for pastors. Not everybody is going to get the crown of glory. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to give that crown, that unfading crown of glory. You know what I'm called in the Bible? I'm not called a pastor, I'm called a shepherd. I am the shepherd of this flock. I am the, for lack of a better term, the term doesn't occur in the scripture, but we use the term under shepherd. Under who? Under the chief shepherd. You know, I, I've worked in many places. Uh, some of you worked in the same job, in the same place for the same boss for many years. And you retired from uh, wherever it was you worked after 30 years of service to the, maybe it was a state, uh, you were a teacher or a government worker or something like that. You know what? I have worked for the same boss, the same boss for almost 40 years. I've worked in different branch locations, but it's been the same boss the whole time. I've shepherded the people of God. Here's my point. People down here may never recognize your service. They may not give you any gold watches. They may not give you any pats on the back. They may not give you any encouragement at all, but I want you to understand, one day you are going to be rewarded for the work that you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to apply the fire of judgment to our works, and those things that have been done for him are going to pass the test, and then we are going to be rewarded accordingly. All right, Pastor, you got my attention. Good. How can I prepare for this? How can I prepare for this? Because I've already determined, I hope you've gotten, you're going to appear. Everybody has to, all the family's got to. We must all appear. So what do I do? Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your motives. Take a look at your motives. Why do you do what you do? Do you want people to pat you on the back? Do you want people to tell you how great you are? Or are you doing it for the glory of the Lord regardless of whether anybody ever even notices it or not? Take a look at your methods. How do you do what you do? You see, if the world can't see Jesus in your life, then that work is not going to pass the test in the end. Before you do anything, ask yourself these three questions. Is this pleasing to God? What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, is it pleasing to God? Second question, what kind of message? If somebody is watching me right now, and they always are, if somebody's watching me, what kind of message does this send to everybody else? And here's the third question. When I say this, when I go there, when I wear this, what statement am I making about the Lord Jesus Christ and his church? You see, it all boils down to this. When you got saved, when I got saved, I was called to live the best life I could 
for the glory of God. And if I do that, I don't need to worry about meeting the Lord Jesus at the Bema seat. After all, if I'm living for the Lord, when I get to the Bema seat, what's going to happen? I'm going to be rewarded, not rebuked. The Bible talks about those whose works is composed primarily of wood, hay, or straw. Much of what they have done was done for show. I really don't want to stand before the Lord Jesus and watch the stuff that I've done in this life burn up. I really don't. I don't want to be standing there before the Lord Jesus who died on the cross for my sins and all of a sudden all the things that I have done, all the things that I have said since I became a Christian, it all burns up and there's a pile of ashes. How thankful is that? How thankful is it? The thought of the Bema seat ought to motivate me to serve God more faithfully. The Bema seat ought to motivate me to serve God more humbly than I ever have before. Every single time that I've ever preached on this subject, there are always some people who have some kind of false spirituality in their life. They're, they're more humble than God is, I think. And they come up and they say, well, Pastor Keith, I tell you, that's good. I don't care about those things. I don't care about crowns, and I don't care about, re that would be nice, but I'm not looking for anything. Just, I tell you what, just build me a cabin in the corner of glory, and I'm just going to be so happy to be there. That's the most unspiritual thing you could ever say in your life. You may think that sounds humble. You may think that sounds sweet, but it sure don't sound biblical. I sure don't want to stand before my Jesus empty-handed while everybody else is standing around laying their crowns before the feet of the Lord. When I get to heaven, the sound I want to hear is not the sound of angel choirs. The sound I want to hear is not the sound of saints rejoicing. You know what sound I want to hear? Beep, 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 beep. You say, what in the world do you want to hear beeps for? Because I want it to be a big old dump truck backing up to the throne of the Lord because there's so many crowns that I have accumulated for him that I can just say, boys, back that thing on up and dump those crowns at the feet of my Lord because he died on the cross for me and he, he saved me when I didn't deserve to be saved. And so forever, how many years I live, I want to do everything I can possibly do to bring glory and honor to him. Whether it's standing in a pulpit, singing a song, parenting my children, loving my grandchildren, or shepherding the church. When I stand before him, I want the reward. Must, you remember that old hymn? Must I go and empty-handed and before my Savior stand? I don't want to be standing there with nothing to give to my Lord. After all he's done for you, don't you think? Don't you think you ought to spend the rest of your life serving him? Serving him faithfully. There's a song that we used to sing. I, David pulls it out every once in a while, I think. Uh, we hadn't sung it in a while. We fall down 
we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And I think the next line in that song is, and we cry, holy, holy, holy. Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it just because that's just what you're supposed to do? Are you doing it because it's expected of you? Or are you doing it because you are thankful for the salvation that has been given to you that you didn't deserve, but that Jesus has provided for you? You see, I think every time we stand up to sing, every time we stand up to sing, don't just stand there like you don't have nothing better to do. I can't sing. I don't care. You aren't singing to me. You're worshiping God. Why? Why do I need to do that? Because of what he did for you. Mouth the words if you can't sing a tune. Put a smile on your face. Stop with this golf show clapping. You know how they clap at a golf, at a golf tournament when somebody makes a, 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 a shot? Because we don't want to bother anybody. No, I'm clapping. I'm gonna shout hallelujah because the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sin. I didn't deserve it. And he has given it to me, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life running, jumping, hollering, screaming, laughing all the way to heaven. So when I stand before the Lord himself, my works do not burn up, but they turn into crowns that I can lay at the feet of Jesus. Jesus.